critical thinking is the most important skill you can have when you're living in a world that seems to have lost its mind. Everyone out there is trying to tell you what to think. I want to teach you how to think. In every episode, I'm exposing the logical fallacies being used by advertisers, politicians, influencers, news outlets, social media memes, and maybe even your own best friend. Warning, listening to this podcast will cause you to see bad thinking everywhere. Welcome to the Filter Through a Brain Cell podcast. Hey, what is up, thinkers? Kathy Gibbons here. All right, we are back after our little break over the holidays, and we are kicking off with a doozy of a topic that I have had on my list to talk about for a while, and that is how to think about conspiracy theories. And if you've never heard the phrase before, just know you'll definitely hear more and more about this as you go through life, and we will define it in this episode, so just keep listening. But you're going to hear more about it because the chatter around conspiracy theories is alive and well, trust me, and seems to be hearing more about it every day. Um, But before I go into that, I wanted to start this episode off by sharing a review that a listener named Leah sent to me via email. She said this, I just found you through Heidi St. John's podcast. I started listening to your episodes yesterday and absolutely love the format and most of all, the length of the podcast. Your podcast has allowed me to listen to an episode or two on my commute between many other stimulating podcasts that I follow. I'm already learning so much and I can't wait to begin teaching the principles to my boys. This morning, I was reading through the news and spotted this and she had sent a screenshot of a heading from a newspaper or, you know, some online um, news source. I've always had a certain a certain emotional reaction to headlines like these, especially since it's about a person who attends my church. But this time I was more excited that I could articulate what was wrong with the headline. Thank you. Okay, Leah or Leah, I'm not sure how you pronounce your name, but thank you so much for writing it. It makes me so happy to hear from my listeners and it especially makes me happy to hear that this podcast is helping you recognize fallacies and propaganda and all that good stuff when you see them in real life. That is the whole goal. So well done and seriously, thank you for letting me know. And can I just ask you all this? If you enjoy this podcast, would you take just a few seconds and give it a five-star review or better yet, write a quick review on whatever app you're listening. It really encourages me. I read all of them and it helps other people find the show as well. So it is the beginning of a new semester right now if you're listening in real time because it's January. So I wanted to let you guys know about a resource that I have recently created for homeschoolers. I have had lots of requests um, for some sort of resource that can be used in a homeschool co-op to teach logical fallacies using this podcast. And first of all, how cool is it? I'm ecstatic for this podcast to be used that way. And I thought it was a great idea. So I have created something. It is a 10-week plan to use the Filter Through Brain Cell podcast in a co-op setting. It includes kind of a game plan for which episodes to focus on. It includes activities that you can do every week, et cetera, et cetera. So if you've been looking for something like that to offer a class in your co-op, you can check it out. Go to filteredthroughbraincell.com and click on resources. Scroll down and you'll see it. Okay, back to conspiracy theories. I know that this can be a hot topic with strong emotions on all sides. So I wanted to just talk about it on this podcast in a way that can hopefully help calm some of the emotions down that people on all sides have about it and give us a clear-headed way to think about them. So if you're a full-fledged conspiracy theorist or if you're just conspiracy curious, 
Or if you think anything labeled a conspiracy theory is clearly false and you can't imagine how someone could fall for them, these two episodes are for you. That I'm going to do a part one and a part two. I think a really great place to start is by looking for some truth to get uh, to get a solid footing on and ask whether there have ever been any conspiracy theories that have actually been proven to be true, not just speculated about. So throughout our homeschooling journey, we have used and read, like probably a lot of you, lots of different books from different sources. One of the book series that we've enjoyed over the years is called The Tuttle Twins. The author, Connor Boyack, writes books for kids on a number of different topics, economics, freedom ideas, um, all kinds of different stuff. And he's more recently expanded to writing for older readers, middle and high schoolers. And he's got a great book on logical fallacies. He's got one on cognitive biases. So y'all know I'm paying attention to that. Well, he just came out with a book called True Conspiracies, which is all about conspiracy theories that actually turned out to be true and verifiable. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to dip our toes into this topic here on this podcast, and I was able to get an interview with him on this topic. Now, I do have thoughts that I want to share with y'all about conspiracy theories, but this interview is already going to be fairly long, so I am just going to give it to you in its entirety, and then I will do a part two. The next episode will be part two where I share my thoughts on how to think about conspiracy theories, and I'm just going to let you listen to this interview. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, Connor. Thank you so much for being here. Would you take a minute and just introduce yourself to my audience? Yeah, I'm the president of a nonprofit called Libertas Institute. We basically change laws that are uh, violating people's rights. We've been doing that for about 12 years. Uh, I'm the author of about 43 books, I think, at this point. Um, Most or a lot of them are the Tuttle Twins books that I'm most known for. Uh, These are books that teach children uh, how the world works, uh, what an economy is, what our rights are, uh, the importance of personal responsibility, entrepreneurship, all kinds of stuff the schools really aren't teaching anymore. And then I'm also the executive producer of the Tuttle Twins cartoon. We have uh, two full seasons out for free on the Angel Studios app. Um, And so really, I'm just a freedom guy trying to, uh, you know, spread the word and get families talking about real ideas that matter and helping red pill the rising generation so that they learn truth in a world full of deceptions. No, I love it. It's perfect. It's so goes along so well with what I teach in this podcast is teaching people how to think, not just take the messages that they're being given, that they're being fed, but really think about them and think well about them. So we are here to talk about this new book that you have written called True Conspiracies. So one of the places that I always like to start is let's define our terms. What is a conspiracy theory? So a conspiracy theory, let's start with conspiracy. A a conspiracy is just uh, an event in which uh, two or more people secretly get together and decide that they're going to do something bad. They're trying to get away with it. They want to fool other people or do something in secret. And so that is a conspiracy. Well, a conspiracy theory is the claim or the belief that there is a conspiracy. So for example, some people say that you know, men landing on the moon is a conspiracy. Well, that's a theory. They they have a claim. It's not really substantiated by hard evidence. There's lots of things that they might cite as evidence, which haven't really been verified or, or agreed upon. There's no consensus about it. And so those remain a conspiracy theory. For me in this book that we're talking about, The Tuttle Twins Guide to True Conspiracies, we wanted to move beyond theories and find actual conspiracies that are indisputable, that that legitimately happened. No one uh, contests that they happened. There's documentation of exactly what we're talking about. 
because there's there's plenty of actual conspiracy. Like it's fun to maybe theorize about some things and and whatever, but there's a lot of actual conspiracies that we can point to and and study and understand. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And how can we stop it from happening in our day? No, that's good. And, and why do you think conspiracy theories have become such a popular topic in the last couple of years? It just seems like they are everywhere. People are talking about them. People are calling people conspiracy theorists. They're poo-pooing it. Like why, what's been, why do you think it's taken on such a life of its own recently? I'm going to answer that a little bit uh, differently. The, um, the term conspiracy theory had been around for some time. It was used in this book here, that magazine there, uh, you know, a century ago. And, but it wasn't a, a popular term at all. It was just this this random kind of term that someone, you know, made up. When it became popular, when, when it became a term that a lot of people understood, was after JFK assassinated, President John F. Kennedy. And the CIA in their report after he was assassinated, they said, look, a lot of people are going to think that the government did it. I am one of those people. I think the evidence is fairly strong that there was uh, that there were intelligence agencies involved. That's a whole uh, topic we could get into. But the CIA writing this report, they're like, we don't want this attention. We don't want people thinking that that the government had anything to do with. So we're going to call these people conspiracy theorists and we're going to kind of attack them and malign them and and put them out onto the fringe so that anyone who thinks this way is not going to be considered reputable or someone in you know polite society so to answer your question then i think we see a lot of chatter about it because number one there is a lot of corruption and therefore those in in, in power who are corrupt want to brand everybody as a conspiracy theorist who claims that they're doing bad things because they don't want the attention they don't want the accountability the other thing I would say is I think social media really amplifies a lot this uh, a lot of this. Traditionally, you had to be a, a publisher, which required a lot of equipment and knowledge uh, to be able to print a, a periodical, a, a magazine, or whatever. Now everyone is a publisher with their thumbs on their phone, and so that uh, allows for ideas to spread far more quickly, which is good, but it's also bad. Uh, truth can spread more easily, so can falsehood, and so I think technology is really kind of added fuel to the fire. This has been going around for a long time, but I think more recently, especially young people uh, with the access to information and the ability to share uh, even misinformed or uninformed, you know, viewpoints, uh, it just, it's amplified. And so I think that's why we see a lot more people shooting from the hip and just saying, well, I think this, or this is the case without really doing the research and, and getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Okay, so I've got a lot of listeners who listen with their their teenagers in the car. So can you give us a couple examples? Like what is an example from your book of a so you wrote a book uh called True Conspiracies, and you go through a whole bunch of different conspiracy theories that have been proven to be true. And um and I think that's really interesting because so many times people say, Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory about some idea that's out there today. And they think that by doing so, that automatically discredits it. However, there have been time and time, and, and sure, there are some crazy ones out there, right? There's some crazy ones. Right. But also, there have been a lot of them that have, over time, been proven to be true. So can you give us an example from your book of, uh, I'm going to ask you to give us two examples, one of a well-known conspiracy theory that is actually true, and then maybe an example of a lesser-known conspiracy theory that is also true. Okay. So for the well-known conspiracy, let's go with the Great Reset. This is something that has had a lot of 
publicity. A lot of, especially conservatives and libertarians and, and people on the so-called right uh, have been talking about it. They've been looking at Klaus Schwab, uh, who I call Dr. Evil, and uh, <laughs> he, he kind of like dresses Dr. like Dr. Yes. Evil from Austin Powers. <laughs> he does. Um, and, and the World Economic Forum, here are guys who are basically saying, you will own nothing and be happy. You will eat bugs. You will have no privacy. You know, this is the future we're designing for you. One world government, you know, no cash, uh, digital currency, social credit score, and on and on and on. And, uh, and and so, of course, there are people like on the right that I've described who post on that in social media. This is crazy. Oh, my gosh. Look at these globalists and everything else. And then the critics will come and they'll say, oh, no, you conspiracy theorists. It's just a group of people getting together. And, you know, but then you have Klaus Schwab, who has openly admitted that, that the World Economic Forum he uses the term penetrated, that they have penetrated the cabinets of the world. What, what does that mean? A cabinet is the kind of the, the government officials in charge of a particular country, along with the president or the prime minister. They're kind of the main leaders of, of the different government departments. Here's Klaus Schwab saying, oh, Justin Trudeau in Canada, he was part of the World Economic Forum and all these guys around the country who are implementing our agenda. They got our start with us. We have brainwashed and indoctrinated them according to our perspective. And we've gone around the world and we planted these little seeds in governments all over the place. And that is how we are accomplishing our agenda. Uh, so, so it's kind of an open secret almost. Now, does that mean that, you know, uh, the World Economic Forum has massive power? Well, no, I, I don't think they have a ton of power, but they do have a lot of uh, influence and they do, you know, have to uh, convene events with the world's most elite businessmen and, you know, journalists and philanthropists and politicians. When you as can assemble groups like that, that means that you are a power broker and that your ideas are going to spread. So I, I would say the Great Reset is one where, you know, when you look at the writings of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, I would call that a conspiracy. I would call that one more of an open conspiracy rather than a secret conspiracy, although I'm sure there are plenty of things that they talk about and 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 plan that are secret and that they don't want to be so bold about uh, in, in sharing publicly. So that's, that's the well-known one. For uh, the one that's uh, less well-known, I'm going to pick a, a, a fan favorite uh, for those who then learn about it. They're horrified that this was the case. Uh, the story goes like this. that um, they're, uh, During the Cuban Missile Crisis, we're talking about the, the Soviets in, from Russia, they, the communists. They had come to Cuba, which was an allied country. Cuba is very close to Florida for those who didn't you know, do well in geography like me uh, in school. And uh, so Cuba is very close to the United States. They were friendly with the Soviets. So the Soviets were setting up missiles and they were setting up, you know, soldiers and, 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 and occupying Cuba to potentially launch an attack into America. So reasonably, there were a lot of Americans concerned about the Soviets being at their doorstep. Uh, however, the, when you looked at polling at the time, opinion polls of American voters, hardly anyone supported going to war in Cuba. Because probably they didn't want to trigger World War III, and and they're like, no, let's let's just not do that. However, there was a group of of kind of fringe radicals that uh, wanted to uh, go to war. They thought, hey, we do need to stop the Soviets. We should invade. So this group of radical activists they put together a plan. They said, you know what? How about if we bomb Miami and we shoot down some planes uh, flying over Florida? And we shoot down some rafts of, uh, of, of migrants fleeing uh, uh, Cuba in search for more freedom and a better life. Let's kill a whole bunch of people. 
through these activities, but we will make it look like Cuba did it. We will make it look like uh, the the perpetrators are the, the you know Cuban uh, officers and, and communists, so that the American public will be deceived into thinking, oh my gosh, look at what Cuba is doing, and therefore support going to war in Cuba, which was the goal of these you know fringe radicals. This group I'm describing, they got an audience with the president of the United States. This was JFK at the time. They pitched their proposal and JFK said no, which is the only reason why it's happening. Now, there's two important things to share here. The first is, had this event happened, had, had JFK said, yes, I agree with this, do you really think that anyone today would realize what actually happened? No, we would, for decades, we would have been taught in our history books and schools and everything about those horrible Cuban communists yes. on this. We, we would have a rem day of remembrance. It would probably be a national holiday. It would mm -hmm. be a, a time, you know, and, and we would have grown up believing this to be the case, not realizing, because now it's been declassified that, oh, wait a minute, this was just a, a secret plan by this fringe group of radical activists, which leads us to the second important observation. Who is this group I'm describing? Why why did a group of radical activists get an audience with the president of the United States in order to propose killing Americans in the name of going to, uh, to war? Well, this group I'm describing, uh, they're named the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States Military. <laughs> These were the top leaders of the United States military who directly report to the president. They're with the Department of Defense. They they had the audacity to put these ideas to paper. Uh, it is called Operation Northwoods, one word, Northwoods. You can Google it, read the declassified memo yourself. JFK shot it down. Uh, he also then uh, fired the uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, soon thereafter. Uh, some suspect that that had a hand uh, in the you know the buildup to his assassination. But the point is that um, this event didn't happen thanks to JFK. And that had it happened, we may never to this day have realized the truth because like with JFK's assassination, there are all these records that were supposed to have been declassified decades ago according to the law. Uh, uh, that Congress passed and the, the FBI and others refuse to provide the documents to this day. I contend that Operation Northwoods would have been the same. We would have been fed this deception for decades thinking that the communists did this to America um, and the intelligence agencies knowing the truth would not uh, have declassified the memo. Whereas now it's like, okay, this didn't happen. We can declassify this one. You know, who cares? Uh, so just a couple examples. There's 20 total in the book, uh, but these are some interesting aha moments when you realize, wait a minute, these guys, these Joint Chiefs of Staff, they swear an oath to uphold the Constitution yeah. and to protect Americans. And here they're proposing killing Americans in hopes of sending yet more Americans to die in war against you know, the communists in Cuba and so on and so forth. It makes you then question, and I'll end here, this is the point of the book, the whole point of the Guide to True Conspiracies that we wrote is to expose young people to the true history of the the kind of darker reality of what our government has done so that they can be more likely to be skeptical of and question what's happening today not believing those in power not not accepting their word as gospel but instead having the critical thinking capacity to say, uh, 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 I know that there have been shenanigans in the past. I'm going to be a little bit guarded in what I believe is actually happening today. And maybe we have to wait a while to find out the truth, but at least then I won't have been deceived along the way. Yes. Oh, I, I think that's 
I love how you you wrap that up so succinctly. That's perfect. In your book, one of the questions that you ask in each chapter is cui bono. It's Latin for who benefits, right? Who, yep. What's the benefit here? And so what what why do you ask that question? And what do you think is the motive behind telling a false story? Why do we even have to have such a thing as conspiracy theories? So yeah, every, everyone benefits in these conspiracies. Sometimes it's political power. Um, sometimes you're a president and you want to go to war against Vietnam because that will boost your polling numbers for your reelection. Uh, sometimes you're buddies with the military industrial complex that financially profits off of war. And, and so you are uh, quite open to encouraging uh, conflict. Sometimes, like in the case of Operation Ajax, it's oil, it's, it's resources. This was when the CIA got together with uh, Great Britain's intelligence agency and they instigated a coup in Iran. They overthrew the democratically elect elected prime minister who was going to say, no, all this oil that the British and the American are taking out of Iran. We want to hang on to it ourselves and use, you know, because it's Iranian oil. Well, the Americans and the British wanted to continue to control that oil. And so they uh, so they did this coup. Why, so they benefited because then the oil kept flowing to the West at cheap prices, which is what uh, helped propel America to be in the strong financial position that it is today. So a lot of it's financial, it's power, it's money, it's uh, it's it's notoriety and prestige. Um, and, uh, and so look, that's, that's, you know, ever since Cain slew Abel for those who are, you know, religious and, oh, Hey, I, you know, I get my brother's flocks and, you know, yeah, I get more like since, since the dawn of humanity, um, there have been people conspiring to try and profit, uh, gain power, gain mel uh, money, gain control. Uh, today is no different. And so, uh, the fact that there remain conspiracy truths today, as well as theories, uh, I think is just an ever-present part of our reality that we're going to have to deal with, realizing that we can go about our day, go to the grocery store and fill up gas and read a book and have a normal day. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world, there are bad people conspiring to do bad things uh, and to try and manipulate us. And uh, I think the more we're aware of that and and cognizant or, or that we realize that these things are happening, the better decisions we can make in our lives so that we're not being uh, controlled by these people who do want to control us. Yeah, absolutely. And why do you think, because in, in society today, give almost any topic, especially something that's controversial, especially something that could be labeled a conspiracy theory, there are people on both sides adamant that it's true and others adamant that it's false. How can we have one situation and people look at it from two completely polar opposite positions. How, how does that even happen? Well, we have another guidebook. This this True Conspiracies book we're talking about is part of our guidebook series for teenagers. And we have a whole bunch. One is called The Tulletsman's Guide uh, to Beware Your Bias. And every chapter is a different cognitive bias to understand, okay, how is it that our thinking is affected by our worldview or our life experiences or our culture or religion or, or other beliefs? And so uh, there's a meme that or a cartoon that's gone around for years that shows two people on either side of a number. And the guy on the one side said, that's a six. And the guy on the other side says, that's a nine. And you can kind of visualize how that makes sense, that two people looking at the same thing have totally different perspectives. That's not to say that all perspectives are valid. Sometimes someone can say, like someone could say about Operation Northwoods, that, that uh, Cuban 
story that I shared. Oh no, you know that that that's not true. These were upstanding military officers just trying to protect people. That wasn't a violation of the Constitution. This happens all the time. It's just part of war. Like there are people who can bring those types of excuses and arguments to try and justify nearly any atrocity. You go back and you look at World War One, how the Nazis and other Germans were trying to justify everything that they were doing, racial purity and and so forth. So um, we have to realize, especially for the young people listening, that there's always an argument. There's your your opponents, your adversaries, your enemies. Uh, they'll always have an argument to morally justify what they're doing, to to appease their conscience, uh, to convince themselves that they're in the right position. Um, and so you can't just uh, concede that what someone claims to be true is true. You have to figure that out for yourself, and you may come to radically different conclusions. Think of masks and COVID. You know, you look online, and you got one team that's saying. Everyone should be wearing masks. It stops the the virus. You need to, you know, and then you go look at the data over here and you're like, well, no, no, it doesn't. Look at these states that had total mask requirements and their COVID outcomes were not any better. And everyone just debates and debates and debates, but they cherry pick which, you know, little data points seem to bolster yes. their own position. Um, so again, I think that's just, I think that's just humanity uh, uh, that, that people have these tendencies to find the information that validates or confirms their existing belief. Um, and there's no getting around that. So really, for those of us who really care about the truth, we have to be aware of that ourselves so that we don't fall into that yes. trap. And do I believe this to be true simply because it confirms what I already believed? Or am I willing to confront myself and challenge myself with beliefs or ideas that conflict with how I was raised or what I was taught in school or what my best friends all believe or, or whatever? Are you willing to challenge yourself in pursuit of the truth? I think more people prefer comfortable lies uh, to inconvenient truths. And so if we do want the truth, it might be uncomfortable. We might have to shed some of our past uh, identity, some of our uh, past beliefs. But but I think the truth matters. I think it's worth it. And I think we ought to go through that experience in order to claim it and then uh, share it with others. Oh, so good. Okay. You gave us two questions right there that are excellent to kind of set up our minds to think about conspiracy theories, because I'm of the opinion that questions are the gateway to good thinking, right? That's going to help you think well. So what questions were you asking about as you study these 20 different conspiracy theories to determine if they're true or not? Like what questions can you give our audience that when they hear something, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory or somebody's like presenting a conspiracy theory, what questions can they ask themselves to help go down that path of determining if it's true or if it's not? That's a great question. I, I think we've covered one of them. Who benefits? Qui bono? So uh, are we are we talking about something where there are people who who are going to receive power or wealth or control if this thing turns out to be, you know, uh, true, if this is truly a conspiracy? So somebody benefiting uh, from it, if, if there's uh, big stakeholders who uh, are in a strong position to benefit, then I'm like, OK, they're, you know, Powerful institutions want to preserve and then expand their power and control. And so if you've got, you know, a government or a banking system or uh, Boeing or, uh, you know, the Wuhan lab and, uh, and the CDC, if you have these powerful institutions involved at all, that raises a flag in my mind of like, okay, 
you know, people in those institutions might have an incentive to try and do a conspiracy so that they can preserve and then expand their control. So who benefits? That's that's uh, that's one thing. The the second thing I would suggest is looking at the data. The question is what what evidence is there? If we're talking about let's say 9/11, there's a lot of people who believe that uh, 9/11 that the the towers uh, in New York City fell uh, as a result of what's called controlled demolition that the government had or or people had secretly with the government's kind of blessing and awareness planted explosives in the building so that after the planes attacked them then the you know buildings kind of imploded otherwise they wouldn't have fallen there are a lot of theories around 9/11 like that okay well how can we sift through all the many theories about 9/11 and what happened that day to try and get at the truth what evidence actually is there what data actually is there this is a great example where you have one set of people who look at the free falling uh, tower and they'll say, aha, evidence of a controlled demolition, because that's exactly what a controlled demolition does. Then you have people in the government, these scientists and researchers who look at the data and say, oh, well, here's all, all the reasons why we don't think that that's valid. And then they go back and forth and they try and like, you know, uh, 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 issue a rebuttal to the the other and they, they go back and forth. That's where I feel like, OK, let's let's get different voices all dissecting the data and see if we can sift through. Uh, what's going on. The readers of our book will note that we did include 9-11 uh, in the book. However, not all the traditional conspiracies about 9-11, like the towers and so forth. The one that we focused on is a true uh, conspiracy that no one can dispute. And that is that one year prior to the 9-11 attacks, you had all these people getting together um, as part of what they called the Project for a New American Century. And they wrote a paper and they said, you know what, we need more stronger military, we need more intervention overseas, uh, we need uh, our armed forces to be way more supplied and, and, and stronger, but that's not really going to happen unless we have a new Pearl Harbor, uh, a reference, of course, to the Japanese attack in Hawaii during World War II. Uh, we need a new Pearl Harbor that would galvanize the American public and get them to support, you know, more military intervention. Well, lo and behold, one year later, 9-11 happens. And, and what, what happens? These guys that wrote this paper, they immediately become, uh, they're, they're part of the Bush administration. That, so they're now in control of the military. They were previously on the outside because Clinton was the president. And now they're in charge of the military, they're advising the president, and they go around the media and they start saying, oh, this 9-11 attack, it's just like Pearl Harbor. And they start planting the seed again and again and again. So whether the government was involved or aware of the towers, whatever, like I don't think it matters, but there was an actual conspiracy here. So that's why I say, what's, what's the evidence? What is indisputable? Well, here's a memo that they wrote one year prior. No one can dispute that. So I can latch onto that and say, I know this is true. I know this is accurate. I still have question marks about all this other stuff and it's unsettled. That's okay. We don't, we may never know. We might not find out for four decades, right? It's okay to have questions and just kind of put things away on a shelf and say, I'll reserve judgment for a later date. But I think that second question is powerful. What evidence is there that, that can't really be challenged, that is very strong? That's what I'm going to base my knowledge on. And then just remain, um, remain tentative about everything else so that you can adapt your views as you get more information. Oh, that's good. Those are excellent. You gave us two really good and succinct questions on that. Do you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Oh gosh, my favorite. Um, that's 
it's awkward to say, do you have a favorite uh, instance of evil? I know, you it know? sounds like, terrible, but <laughs> I'll tell you my favorite is Operation Paperclip simply because okay. I enjoy reading about World War II. It's one of my favorite times of history. There's so much mm-hmm. interesting stuff that happened from so many different angles there. So that one would be my favorite. Okay, one. And y'all okay. Have to I like get that. The, you'll have to get the book and read about Op- Operation Paperclip if you don't know what it is for my audience. I would... But- uh, I think my favorite, if I had to pick one, would be the, the what we call the creature from Jekyll Island, which is the That's origins of the Federal one. Reserve. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and those of us, uh, those of you who read our Tuttle Twins books, are familiar with. You know, we have a book called the Tuttle Twins and the Creature from Jekyll Island, but it's just a, a crazy story. All these guys traveling, you know, in the cover of of night uh, at dark with secret names and hunting clothes to deceive report because reporters would hang out at the train station kind of seeing like oh who's here and who can we try and interview so they were in disguise and they uh, and they had secret names they weren't supposed to reveal their names they all uh, locked themselves up in a, a fancy hotel for like a week where they hash uh, out what became the Federal Reserve, which I think is one of the most evil institutions that we have today. It is the reason why we have inflation and our prices are going up and our money's value is going down. Um, and and so favorite quote unquote, I, I like that one because it's so a, a lot of these I'll say, Kathy, that uh, some of these conspiracies, they're just interesting to yeah. to read, but they don't really impact our lives or they don't really have any relevance to, you know, a 17 year old listening to your podcast right. today. I would argue that the creature from Jekyll Island has intense relevance to everyone listening because it controls the value of our money and really therefore affects a lot of our life. And so knowing about its history, I think is step one in trying to then do something about it down the road. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. That's one of my favorites too. So, okay. Thank you so much, Connor, for coming on. How can people follow you? How can they learn more about your work and what you do and your books and all that good stuff? So I'm super easy to find online. You can just search Connor Boyack on your favorite social media app or Google or Tuttle Twins. Uh, We're all over all the socials sharing spicy memes and uh, having fun trying to uh, get people to be fans of freedom. That's awesome. And I am an affiliate. So if you guys want a discount, when you check out, put filter it, filter it, all one word, and you can get a discount there. So thanks so much, Connor, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, y'all. That's it for today. Join me in the next episode for part two of how to think about conspiracy theories. And remember, when you learn how to think, you will no longer fall prey to those who are trying to tell you what they want you to think. And it all starts with asking one simple question. Is that really true? I would love to hear from you. Do you have questions about fallacies and cognitive biases? Are you now starting to see and hear them everywhere around you too? Well, send them in. They just might get featured on the podcast. You can email them to me at think at filteritthroughbraincell.com or you can connect with me on Instagram at filteritthroughbraincell. And if you want to be notified about when new episodes come out and all the things that we're doing, go to www.filteritthroughbraincell.com and sign up to receive email updates. I would love it if you would help us on our mission to teach society how to think well. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this podcast with